However, I think all shitcoins, which are all non-Bitcoin cryptos. Owned by a company. Exactly. That have a board of directors. Centrally planned, centrally Correct. controlled. They're basically digital fiat. Yes. And indeed, things like Ethereum are being used in certain countries to launch central bank digital currencies on that platform. Yes, so XRP too, Ripple. It's the rail system for a yeah. CBDC. Right. And so the, the, the fundamental distinction between fiat, crypto, and Bitcoin over here is that no one can change the rules of Bitcoin. That's the beauty of it. No one can change 21 million. Uh, nodes are choosing individually which rules to run, which rules benefit them. And the social consensus of that rule selection is Bitcoin. So it's kind of like the purest democracy you've ever had in a way. Hey everybody, welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm gonna do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by N. Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Welcome back to Freedom Fest in Memphis here, 2023. We are joined today by Robert Breedlove from the What Is Money podcast. Uh, Robert is a wealth of knowledge in traditional economics, what's going on in the world, and more importantly, really seeing the future. And that's what people desire. So when we, when we talk about global economics, we talk about currencies, we talk about energy, I'm so excited for this conversation. I can't even express it to you. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's really nice to be here. Well, Robert, tell them a little bit about, we had a conversation about this months ago, of how What Is Money started in your journey. Because your journey is, you're not a podcaster. You've you've become a podcaster because of a certain cause in your heart. And I think people, you probably told the story a thousand times, but give everybody a little bit of a background on your 
history and that how what brought you to this point? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I do think my life has sort of uniquely taken me towards this particular role and exploring this seemingly simple question, what is money, right? Sounds like something we should all know the answer to. We use it every day. People think about it a lot. We actually think through it as well when you use it for pricing and negotiating, things like that. But it turns out if you really drill into that question, it's actually quite mysterious. And after 340 some odd episodes, I still can't give you one solid answer. <laughs> um, there are many, many answers to the question. And so it's a perspective question. Right? It, it is. It's, it's pers- it is a perspective question. And it also kind of highlights the insufficiency of language. Um, that's a bit of a deeper topic, but let's just say the world's very complex, fluid, we use language to deal with it. The language is indispensable. We couldn't be doing what we're doing right now without it. We can't really think so well without it. But it turns out language is not sufficient to describe reality either. So it's as indispensable as it is insufficient. But this is, again, kind of a rabbit hole that you get to. And sure, no, that's the question, yeah. what is money? Um, so from my path into it, I, I have an accounting and finance degree, uh, undergraduate. I have a master's degree in accounting with a focus in taxation. My father was also an accountant and a successful entrepreneur. So I guess I've got the natural uh, predilection for this field of work and sure. thinking. I was fortunate, though. I've, my mom was really big on reading. Right? Growing up, like anything I wanted to learn or any problem I wanted to solve, she would tell me to read about it, right? Sure. You can do anything you want. And I was fortunate to have discovered the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, <laughs> In the year 2004, 2005, so I'm probably 18 or 19 years old at the time, and I'd already been going, I'd been down a lot of rabbit holes, reading, trying to figure things out. Astrophysics was my first fascination. Economics. Quantum physics is mine, so yeah. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about this before, yeah. Yeah. And um, for me, it was just like growing up in Tennessee, you're outside a lot, looking at the stars, what's all this about? So my mom said, well, you want to know? Go find it in a book. How to get here, how I'd get here, why am I here? Exactly, So I'm not an astrophysicist. I don't claim to have any answers about that. But it was I was, I was a nerdy obsession of mine for many years. I read a lot of books about it. And then um, the next obsession that I had was economics. Like when when people would talk about a stock market and bonds and all, they were so, such a mysterious thing to me. I was like, what does this mean? I haven't. I could not fathom what people were talking about. Yet people in the world in general seem to be obsessed with these topics, right? Yep. Money makes the proverbial world go around. So started getting into economics. Uh, initially, it was The Economist magazine, which in retrospect has a lot of bunk economics in it. It's very, yes, thank you for saying that. Very Keynesian heavy, not Austrian, uh, which is to say kind of like what mainstream media is to the truth. Keynesian economics is to real economics. Yes. Something like that. Yes. Uh, but it is a good magazine, good writing. It's not just economics. They go into science and art and literature. Some societal as well. Yeah, Yeah, some societal. So anyways, but I found myself with more questions than answers having, I was reading that it's a monthly magazine or newspaper and it's like getting a book every month. Like it's a very serious dosage of information. And after reading that for a few years, I felt like I still had more questions than answers. And I think it was, I forget the name of the economic newsletter I was getting, but, um, a girl I was dating, her stepdad, I wish I could recall the economist's name, was getting this weekly newsletter, and he was going more into Austrian economics, describing like, you know, the 
the axioms of human action and how you deduce things. Um, and I, I didn't get into Austrian economics at the time through that newsletter, regretfully so. I didn't get, get into it until many years later. But well, it, it planted the seed. Planted a seed, and it also pointed me to the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, which was written by G. Edward Griffin. And everyone in this nation should read that book twice. It's one of the most important books ever written. Ever written. Um, it's a true story, mm. right? It's, it's about the inception of the Central Bank of the United States, the Federal Reserve. But it's written like a literary detective novel. Like yes. He's really brilliantly combined. It's kind of like educational, but also entertaining at the same time. You can't replicate the writing. No. Like it was really, it's truly a unique, one-of-a-kind book. And I want to say he wrote it over a period of over 10 years. So yes. like 10 to 15 years. He really, I think it's his masterwork. And um, actually in that book, there is a section titled, What is Money? Right? He's going into the nature of money. Uh, again, the inception of the Federal Reserve, what I call the corruption of money, right? That we all have this intuition as free market capitalists that the market should be the referee for prices, the determination of quantity for goods and services, right? Like whatever the market demands is what producers should provide. We have this intuition about every market in the world, yet by some miraculous trick, we've all been duped into believing that the most important market in the world, is which it is the market for money, cannot be a free market. It needs to be centrally planned, Soviet style, by central bankers. And when I say Soviet style... Soviet democracy. This is directly from the 1848 Marxist, uh, Marxist Manifesto to the Communist Party. Measure number five reads, a central state monopoly on cash and credit. It's a, it's a necessary component of a Marxist or communist society is a central bank. Correct. We've imported that into the quote-unquote free market capitalist West we have today. Correct. And my strong argument would be, if money is one half of every transaction and money is centrally planned, then we are not a free market capitalist society. We are at least one half socialist based on that fact alone. At very least. Yes. Yeah, the calculation couldn't be derived. You can't do it because it's all conjecture. Yes. But at least half of us is socially driven. But if you remember, the communists used to call their country, which is completely overridden by tyrants, a democracy. Yeah. But a Soviet-style democracy. So the planting of the seed that began, began decades and decades ago. And going from creature of Jekyll Island, you can go through the whole history that he rewound, right? You have... 1913, 1914, you've got a Federal Reserve taxation that's built in. So now you have this entire collection system that's designed to literally enslave every person while a media convinces them they're free. Yes, and that media is paid for by the proceeds stolen through said machine. So it's yes. a very insidious loop, right, where people are being robbed blind via taxation, inflation, regulation, and then those proceeds are used to conduct psyops through mainstream media. Yes. Um, and it's a weird thing. Uh, Eric Weinstein has a great quote that the idealism of every age is the cover story for its greatest theft. Mm. So under Marxism, we had that wonderful utopic phrase from each according to their ability to each according to their need, right? We don't need prices. We don't need markets. We're just going to all converge in brotherly love and capitalism will end and the socialist utopia will rise. Because that's worked before. Yeah. Right. And then what is what is the practical outcome of that? Hundreds of millions starved or murdered. Uh, the most insidious tyrants the world has ever seen from Mao to Stalin to Hitler, all of these. And again, 
fashion. There's a few that exist today that we haven't documented yet. That's right. Yeah. Well, they're they're up and coming. So I want to answer your original question, though. Um, but the key point there is that the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, opened my eyes to the reality that the biggest problem in the world that I know of from like an addressable engineering standpoint is that we have central planning in the monetary system. Yes. And just like central planning, empirically and theoretically, does not work in any market ever in human history. Surprise, surprise, it doesn't work out in the market for money right. either. Right. Yet we all live under a central banking paradigm. We all have fiat currency. We all use fiat currency. It's uh, every nation state in the world has a central bank. There's nowhere that this does not exist. Right. So I come to that grim realization. Is there anywhere that doesn't have a central bank? I think you talk about it quite a bit. Oh, well. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Yes. There is a decentral bank now. Yes. <laughs> That's uh, quite a good answer to this. So 2004, 2005, I'm in not even 20 years old. I come to the grim realization that what I call the corruption Not even money, 20 at this point. That's right. 20 years old, I was worried about batting practice in the morning. I was a college <laughs> baseball player. That's crazy. 20 I, years old. Let's see. What was I doing? I was boxing. That was my sport at the time. That's but My son and I do that now, okay. too. Yeah. But I'm also a nerd, so I was, yep. you know, reading my books, and that's that's the current rabbit hole I was going down. But I got to this point where, and there's a great book, uh, an abridged version, because the Creature from Jekyll Island is a monster. It's yeah. six or seven hundred pages. Yep. It's, again, it's a great read. I highly recommend it. A lot of people don't have the patience for that, though. You can it's get a summer read. You like can get summer, a summer read it. That's right. You can get a summary. I would say a summarized version titled Dishonest Money by a guy named Joe Plummer. It's good. I've read both. Right. Stick with a creature from Jekyll Island. I agree with that. But for those that don't have the patience for the 700-page book, Joe Plummer's book is 80 or 90 pages. Yeah. You can read it in a couple hours and get the gist of- I'm going to age um, myself. It's a cliff note. Yeah, it's a cliff note, basically. Um, so anyways, I come to that grim realization. I actually get the book Dishonest Money for a few of my family and friends, give it to them as gifts. And I'm like, hey, everyone, here's the problem. Like, this is what's wrong with the world. Let's do something. How many read it? I think I got at least 10 to 15 copies. Wow. I think two to three people read it. It's about right. And those that got back to me said, okay, interesting. Interesting book. Interesting take. Seems like a big problem. What can we do about it? Mm -hmm. And again, this is 2004, 2005, and I had no good answer. I was stumped, actually. I was like, I don't know. I thought we just educated ourselves and I would go out and create the change in the world. I would guess to say you still don't have a firm answer. Well... I don't have an answer, but I think there is an answer emerging. I agree. Um, and I, I hope to be participating in the emergence of that answer, but it's not mine. I didn't make it. That's kind of the beauty of it, is that it's no one's, and no one can control it or manipulate it. Yes. But we'll get to that. Um, so, I I don't know. It was, it was a, a feeling of hopelessness, a feeling of disenchantment, a feeling of, ah, here's the biggest problem in the world, but there's nothing we can do about it. So I kind of a put... Spark put the whole thing in an intellectual box for myself and put it on a shelf and said, all right, I'm just going to go back to school and try to get a degree and, you know, chase dollars, climb the corporate ladder, rah, rah. Um, but it, it definitely left a mark. You know, it left this, like... Well, from there, you went into the fund business. You were managing funds. Well, accounting and finance was school. Yeah. So I got the master's degree in accounting. I did public accounting for four years. Uh, I was an entrepreneurial services guy, so I was 
doing tax strategies for large capital pools, high net worth individuals, then went into the CFO world. So I was mostly in technology sectors, like healthcare software, hospitality software, also worked in a construction business for a while in a CFO capacity. So did all that. And then 2016, 2017, I decided I really wanted to work for myself. I often joke that I'm unemployable. Um, I have to say, despite being an employee right now, I say the same thing. You could also say freedom maximalist, which is another term that I use to describe myself. Um, someone that I really value my freedom, right? Yeah. So it's hard for me to work inside of a corporate hierarchy. And I had a really good position, but decided to strike out on my own. I had one consulting client. I was a CFO consulting client. Didn't really know what I was going to do for a business other than consult for them and see where it goes. Uh, I was living in Vegas at the time. I moved to Los Angeles because I wanted to live next to the water. And it's clearly you didn't desire freedom. That's where I moved from. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would later move from there. Yes. Post COVID. Um, But I'm really glad I did that because what it did was give me the bandwidth to become curious again. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, the Gold Investment Letter. The Gold Investment Letter helps sophisticated investors navigate capital markets and maximize their profits in trading gold, silver, and mining stocks. The Gold Investment Letter seeks out the most undervalued companies and identifies special situations in the mining sector, and then provides in-depth analysis on both their financial positions and future prospects. The Gold Investment Letter explores many complex domains, such as investor psychology, portfolio management, and macroeconomic trends, all with the goal of making you a better investor. The Gold Investment Letter offers a free version and a paid premium version, and I strongly recommend you at least sign up for the free version, because after having read a few of these issues, I can promise you it is a treasure trove of good information. You can sign up for the free newsletter today at goldinvestmentletter.com. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. It looks like a mini iPhone, a little touchscreen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res 3-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. And so I started looking at things, right? I started researching different technologies, different uh, market changes, macroeconomics, et cetera, et cetera. And I stumbled across Ethereum, basically, as a smart contract crypto asset. Mm-hmm. So I started going into that rabbit hole. What is a smart contract? I'd never right. heard this term before. I ultimately get to Nick Zabo's work, written in the late 90s, describing smart contracts. I won't get into it too much, but basically, he uses the vending machine as the proverbial example of a smart contract. So it's any system that automates relationships between buyers and sellers. So when you go to buy something in a vending machine, the seller's not there, right? It's been programmed already. Press A7, insert 75 cents, get a Snickers bar. That relationship is automated, so the vending machine is effectively a smart contract. Right. 
Well, it turns out uh, Ethereum was marketing itself as a smart contract platform that could essentially provide these smart contracts in software form uh, and get very sophisticated versions of smart contracts. So the light bulb moment for me was, oh, wow. The entire finance industry is nothing but this intermediate function that's connecting buyers and sellers, borrowers and lenders. Mm -hmm. Right now, we facilitate this smart contract with human beings. This software could potentially do to white collar finance work what the assembly line or certain machinery has done to blue collar work historically, sure. right? Radically economize it, eliminate jobs, increase wealth. Eliminate middlemen, increase profits. Exactly, yeah. exactly right. So cutting out middlemen, so that was, whoa, light bulb, I'm going in. I start making allocations into the space based on market cap. Didn't really, didn't really know what I was buying at the time. So I'm buying Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin. And then this was early 2017. The market went berserk in 2017. It was up, I think the total market cap was up 1,800% in a year. That drew a lot of attention, a lot of friends and family. What is this stuff? How do I buy it, et cetera, et cetera. So by the end of that, I was operating a fund two funds actually by the end of 2017 in the crypto asset space and was actively researching these things, doing valuation reports, just trying to figure it out. And that process led me to become more and more and more and more of a what most people call a Bitcoin maximalist. Sure. Which is where I'm essentially at today. I think Bitcoin is the only market proven use case for a decentralized ledger. I think everything else is- I'm not where you're at, but I agree with at you. At worst, a scam, at best, not achieving product market fit. And I view Bitcoin as the decentralized technological solution to that problem that I identified so long ago, which was the centralization and monopolization of money, basically. So. And it's a weird thing to think about because the reason the central bank exists is because there are economic efficiencies to be gained by putting all the gold in one place and issuing a paper token on top of it. Because it turns out to use physical gold for day-to-day -day transactions, very cumbersome. Yeah. Big pain in the ass, right? Like, yeah. We're going to buy coffee with gold dust and we're going to carry Boom. it with a little treasure <laughs> chest. Like, right. It's the security concerns, the, the lack of convenience, gold... Is great money in a lot of ways, in particular that you can't counterfeit it, so it holds value right. across time, but it's really bad at moving value across space. Not divisible, not portable. Not divisible, not portable. And so one of the really useful answers to the question, what is money, is like, well, it's a tool for expressing value across time and space. So we had a very useful tool in gold for moving value across time, but not across space. So what did we do? We introduced a currency on top of it, and now a gold-backed currency works. Right. The problem, of course, is you can never trust the custodian. You cannot Ever. trust the banker to maintain the peg of the dollar token to the gold. Ever. He, ever. That's I mean, been this, proven. This is all we do. We, we, since Solomon, this has yes, been proven. exactly. Yeah. So you move from a full reserve to a fractional reserve to a zero reserve, yep. which is a fiat currency standard. And it is that... that and you have friends in the 1600s. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's pretty much yes, where you end up. Yes. That's we're approaching. Yes. We, I mean... You could chart the boom and bust of civilizations historically, largely by how much they've compromised their monetary protocols. Correct. It is the base layer of human interaction, right? Yeah. Money is, if the money's not working, social cooperation cannot scale. And as a proof of that, right. look at any hyperinflated economy. You can't trust anyone, right? You can trust right. your small circle of family or friends, but 
I can't trust the bread driver to deliver bread to the grocery store that I can then go and buy because the money doesn't work, right? He's not getting paid. The delivery can't be coordinated. The price signals are disturbed and distorted. So the punchline is if we can get a monetary standard that's incorruptible, unbreakable, then we can build a civilization that is equally incorruptible and unbreakable, Correct. right? It's, it's like building your house on rock versus sand. Biblical. It's biblical, indeed. And this weird realization that it was gold's technological shortcoming that it lacked portability and divisibility that led to the emergence of the central bank, that led to this zero reserve currency standard, Ron, called the fiat currency standard. Correct. That directly that gives government a source of limitless revenue. Yeah. They can borrow and print as much as they need. Yeah. So what do you end up with? Significant government overgrowth. Uh, their encroachment into all aspects of your lives. Yeah, we're watching that right now. N- yeah. Need we rewind the past three years of the pandemic? The past yeah. thirty-five years. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 coming. So it's just coming faster now. It's getting faster. It's, it's getting more intense. And the answer. Uh, and my admittedly narrow view on money is, and we say this a lot in Bitcoin, fix the money, fix the world, right? Agreed. Every other business organization in this world is accountable to their P&L. If you don't produce profits, then you go out of business and the capital is recycled to higher and better use. The one legal exception to this rule is the state. Mm-hmm. They can run a perpetual deficit by printing money and they can externalize the losses onto productive market actors. So you can disincentivize people to be productive because they're getting fucked by inflation and taxation while you incentivize people to be non-productive and political by Correct. getting as close as they can Social to justice the Social uh, justice warriors. Figure. Absolutely. Yep. So there's this, the corruption of money, I would argue, is a major contributor to the corruption of the soul of humanity. Mm-hmm. Like for us to be productive and honest and uh, engaging in long-term trading relationships to acquire wealth, Rather than attacking each other, trust. which involve trust, always have you got to trust will. the money to be able to trust people. Yes, the integrity of the money is directly proportional to the integrity of the civilization. If goods and services don't cross borders, soldiers will, as Bastiat said. So you need sound money to have a sound world. Um, so it's a very long-winded answer to your no, question, but that's kind of like my path into this. And then eventually, I decided I don't like the fun business. Trying to outperform Bitcoin in a 365, 24 by 7 market is brutally hard. Didn't enjoy it. The stuff I was writing was becoming popular. The podcasts I was doing were becoming popular about that. Everyone and their mom on social media, my social media following blows up. They're like, you need to talk more, write more. So finally I said, you know what? I'm just going to go into this full time. Jump on the podcast bandwagon. Launched my first episode uh, series of nine episodes actually in November 2020 with Michael Saylor and you all should watch all nine of those they are enlightening and that's where all of this recognition has come from frankly and I have Mr. Saylor to thank because the guy is so good he can practically interview himself Yeah, I just pressed record and he went on for hours and hours and hours and that series has orange pilled which is a term we use for Bitcoin, incepting the idea of Bitcoin into people's minds it has orange pilled more people, I think, than anything I've ever heard of. I've been recognized all over the world. Um, I was in Europe the past five weeks. I was recognized half a dozen times, just random places in Europe. People coming up to me on the street yep. and restaurants. Well, like I said, when I share your stuff, I get a ton of comments. Yeah. 
and I, and I hold back because I'm not that guy, but I want to be like, I know him, <laughs> you know, I know him. But you bring up the, the thank you for the for the breakdown for everybody. I'm sure you've told the story a thousand times, but it gives me ideas of where we should go. And a few things have happened in the last seven hours that are justifiable to talk about because I'd love to have your opinion on some. Here at this event, we actually heard Steve Forbes at 9.30 this morning say his prediction is by 2024 that we'll have a gold standard in America. That's one. The other one is the XRP ruling on being not a security and this big push. We had a conversation when I first met because I was like, where do I stand? It's the hard part about crypto. And I've been talking to you and to Michael for a year and a half now and listening to your shows, which you listen to them. They're educational. You all should listen to what he has to say. He's unobjective. I mean, you are biased in, in a certain sense because after almost two decades now of research, it has led you to believe that this is the answer. It may not be for you. It wasn't for me. But if you listen with an open mind to your conversations, because you have great conversations with people, you will absolutely get nuggets that'll lean you one way or the other for quite some time and you'll find your destination. And I strive to not be prescriptive about it. I hope sure. that comes through in the show. I'm not here to tell you to buy Bitcoin. I think the best advice is to study Bitcoin actually, yes. or just ask yourself seriously, what is money? Try to answer it for yourself and see where it leads you. Well, that was the other question is the, the question of what is money. And I say it's perspective because everyone has a different perspective, right? I'm sure you've heard of silent weapons for quiet wars. And yeah, so I haven't read of it, I've heard of it. And I think on your recommendation. And what, another, I'll give you a couple, um, because when you gave the, when you gave the cliff note version of uh, the creature from Jekyll Island to people, this year I gave Return of the Gods by Jonathan Kahn to people who are ultimately confused as to the craziness of society. And I think you should read it. Everyone should read it. It's a great book. But in the middle of this, the what is money, they determined, they, they wanted to create, explained money as being energy. And money is energy. Everything is energy. I'm a quantum guy. So literally everything, this is energy. Matter is a false Frozen of energy. Yeah. Correct. It's not even frozen. It's just slower. So yeah, lower wavelength, lower Correct. frequency. Frequency. Yeah. So, you know, I always talk about the resonant effect when frequencies match. It's like a relationship. When you when you have the same frequency as the person next to you and you get along, you're going to be friends forever. When you have a, a break in that energy, it ruins things. And that's that's also a quantum piece. But there's also quantum tunneling which is something people don't know about, is that Mother Nature can actually raise the vibration of an element to match the vibration of a barrier to penetrate the barrier. So when you talk about like movies where guys walk through a wall, that's science fiction in the movie, but it's a reality in quantum physics. So there are tunnelings, there are cells that go through barriers of veins to leak into the bloodstream. Many things of example. So if we look at money as energy, and I think that's a good perspective on it because that's how the enemy wants us to believe money operates. So if we look at it from that perspective on energy, I can't disagree with the argument. If you have a lot of it, you have a lot of energy. You want to do a lot of things. If you have no money, I've been on both sides. When you have no money, you'd really want to do anything because I don't want to spend the last reserves of my energy in order to fill my need for more. Right. And when we talk about that specific piece, we talk about gold, bricks, all these things that are happening right now. Like bricks to me is... <laughs> excuse me, interesting. It's been around for 23 years. Uh, they're just now coming to the surface and people are paying attention. And they should, because this government has weaponized our dollar, our fiat. We've said we've basically said our fake money is more than your fake money for generations. And people are starting to realize, well, our fake money is just the same as your fake. It's just as fake as yours. And in our industry, I'm in oil and gas, so it's getting into this conversation is so beneficial 
for all of our investors to go to because I'm the crazy guy saying gold, silver for preservation of wealth, raw land for future expansion of homesteading, whatever you want to do, oil and gas for tax benefits and income and sovereignty. If you don't have energy, you don't have a nation and Bitcoin. And everyone comes up to me and says, why are you recommending Bitcoin? And I'm like, put it point blank. It's energy. And energy, and that's uh, Jason Lowry talks about in his book, Soft War, which is also a great thesis. Um, there's some things in there I don't understand, some things I don't agree with. But all in all, his general thesis is pretty spot on. I don't know if you agree with that. But it's, he's, he's describing in there the store of energy that Bitcoin creates. And I think that that's so important to understand with BRICS and people talking about BRICS creating a gold back. That'll never happen. There's no way five nations will create a one currency. Who holds the gold? Who distributes the money? Can you trust any of them? The answer is no. But when Steve Forbes publicly states, and, and I know economists and so do you, and they don't get fringy. Right? I do because I don't like I don't make money giving predictions. I make money doing oil and gas. But when I give a prediction like that boldly, I've done it, but I've never seen an actual world-renowned economist come out and say, by 2024, we'll have a gold standard again, especially with the administration we have in place. So my brain has been on fire with that. And then hours later, we hear this XRP thing. What's your take on all that stuff? Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. With Wasabi Wallet, you can receive, send, and store Bitcoin privately. In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use. All of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay server users, they can make payments directly inside of a CoinJoin. And for Trezor Suite users, you can make CoinJoins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code BREEDLOVE. Yeah, there's a lot there. Like uh, 10 questions at once. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I would first say with the, just to knock out the XRP thing, yeah, it's absolutely a security. Um, if you just look at the Howey test, it was a token issued with the intention of generating a profit. So, you know, that's definitely a security. Ethereum would be the same though. However, I think all shit coins, which are all non-Bitcoin cryptos. Owned by a company. Exactly. That have a board of directors. Centrally planned, centrally Correct. controlled. They're basically digital fiat. Yes. And indeed, things like Ethereum are being used in certain countries to launch central bank digital currencies on that platform. Yes. So XRP to Ripple. It's the rail system for a yeah. CBDC. Right. And so the, the, the fundamental distinction between fiat, crypto, and Bitcoin over here 
is that no one can change the rules of Bitcoin. That's the beauty of it. No one can change 21 million. Uh, nodes are choosing individually which rules to run, which rules benefit them. And the social consensus of that rule selection is Bitcoin. So it's kind of like the purest democracy you've ever had in a way. Everything else, all fiat currencies, all central bank tokens, all gold-backed currencies, all crypto, they're all centrally controllable, manipulable, changeable by individuals or a group of individuals. So you can't trust Correct. the rules. The rules are subject to change in all these games. There's one game with rules that nobody can change. Yep. Now, you could argue that physical gold also fits the bill. We don't really could know. have we until don't know they how to papered it. Until he papered it, of course. Which Once is you what they're trying it, to do with Bitcoin now with ETFs. Back in this camp over here, right, yeah. where you can change the rules because it's who's who's holding the gold, who audits the gold, et cetera, right. et cetera. But if you're talking about a purely physical gold standard, an argument could be made that no one knows how to change the rules of gold because we haven't figured out how to counterfeit it. Right, right. right. However, we can today produce artificial gold in a lab. We just and can't, diamonds. And diamonds. We just can't do it economically efficiently enough to compromise the store value integrity of gold yet yet but that doesn't mean it's not so vulnerable to technological disruption at some point or mining an ocean floor mining an asteroid whatever right mm -hmm. there's a lot of risk to the supply integrity of gold bitcoin has none of these right it is just and it's hard to understand because it's so radically new and people are like well the mining and the nodes and you're using all these weird computer science it's so dirty. I don't get yeah. it. Yeah. But the punchline is Bitcoin is incorruptible money. It's 21 right. million, the only fixed supply asset humans have ever created. It's actually impossible to create a fixed supply of a physical commodity mm -hmm. because you can always find more. You can always produce it's more. It's nature. It's nature. Yeah. But in digital reality, there's this weird thing where it's like if everyone, if social consensus coalesces on this one thing, having a fixed supply then that is what it will have right and it, and for other reasons i won't go into if you if you're interested in these reasons you could read the piece i wrote called the number zero on bitcoin it, you can only do it once you can only have one fixed supply asset that is trust minimized and that no one can change it um again it's sort of a it's a 40 minute piece it's sort of complex why that is the case but for now I'll take my word for it if you want more you can go read the piece what's it called again the number zero in Bitcoin. Number zero I also Bitcoin. did a series on this piece on the show. So if you prefer audio video, there's a series on it. I go in depth. I read the piece and then I discuss it. Back to energy though. So yeah. That's I think how we met. Discussing it, how Bitcoin and energy. Yes. 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 And yes. how they're actually so, pretty much the same investor base. And this is a key point, I think, to using gold as a prism through which to understand Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. The reason gold has been such an effective store of value asset and that is preserved purchasing power consistently over centuries, right? Over 5,000 years, the use of gold. We've all heard this, right? The price of a, a fine man's suit is one ounce of gold. Today, just like it was 100 years ago, I think it was the cost for a head of cattle, maybe it was two or three head of cattle, is like one ounce of gold. Right. Or maybe I, I might have the numbers wrong here. Well, it's the same price it was, you know, 100 years ago. So the point is gold holds its purchasing power over time. Mm -hmm. So people have been hoarding it and using it to move economic energy into the future. What is it about gold that's enabled it to do that? Well, it is the cost necessary to mining, 
discover gold, mine gold, refine gold, coin it, right. mint it, all these things, there's a cost to production. Correct. Proof of work is what we call this in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. There's a proof of work necessary to increase the supply of gold. That cost prevents anyone- We use the same terms. Actually, every mining company uses, it's all proof. We have to prove this. That's right. Prove the land, prove, prove the of, yield. Proof of reserves, Correct. things like this. That cost is what secures the gold supply from being arbitrarily compromised, mm -hmm. right? The central bank can't just print new gold. Right. You can't just pass a law that says we're going to increase the supply of gold. And that is why gold is the primary geopolitical monetary layer of the world. Currently. Currently. Yeah. And has been, if you follow the history of gold and how it's moved, you get a very interesting window into the history of the world, right? A lot of gold ended up in North America after World War II, and then we went in and declared ourselves victorious, basically. And yes. then we, what's the first well, thing look. we did? Bretton Woods Conference. We now, the dollar is pegged to gold. All your shitty currencies are pegged to the dollar. We've created a system where we can export green pieces of paper to you mm -hmm. that we can produce as much as we want. You send us real goods and services that require work. Mm -hmm. And as long as we keep the treasury honest, then we're in good shape which of course we didn't in 1971, right? We were levered up. There were six times more dollars outstanding than we had gold in reserves. Well, the funny part about so 71 we is at 74. Yeah. 71, you have 74, the creation of the 401k plant. Yeah. Well, you're tired of paying taxes from the creature from Jekyll Island? Let's shelter your taxes into a, a, a corral where you yes. can only invest in stocks and bonds because we control those two. Right. I mean, that to me is the most fascinating missed piece of economic history. It's yes. The invention of the 401k, why it was put in place. Right, right, right. So you're completely a victim. Most people are a victim. For me, Bitcoin gets you out of that entire system. Yeah, definitely. Out of it. Definitely exists outside the system like gold. And to, to put a button on that, so the supply integrity of gold was protected because it required the expenditure of energy to produce new gold, mm -hmm. right? Proof of work was required. That paradigm is exactly what Bitcoin is, mm -hmm. basically. You have to expend energy to create new units, only you're not going into mines. I mean, you can't just push a button and exactly Bitcoin. That's not how it works? Exactly. Okay. Uh, there's uh, a competition taking place called mining. It's not actually mining. These computers are expending energy to so try and solve. Yes. It's the most secure computing network in the history of the world already, growing very rapidly. But the point is, in incorruptible or uncounterfeitable gold, the same principle that made it that, which is energy expenditure, is what Bitcoin uses. Mm -hmm. So to say it in hopefully an intuitive way, thermodynamics, right? Energy cannot be created nor destroyed. Correct. It makes sense that if we want to create a money that nobody can counterfeit, that we tether the thing, the money, to the one thing nobody knows how to counterfeit which is energy itself. Thermodynamically, we are restricted from arbitrarily creating energy at a poof thin air. You have to actually do the work. All right. So surprise, surprise, you have money that's directly rooted in energy, as Bitcoin is, as gold is, and you've created something that cannot be arbitrarily counterfeited. The further advantage of Bitcoin, though, is that since it's non-physical, we don't need to centralize its custody in one place. Right. We don't need to build a central bank around it. We can't lose it in the ocean. You can't lose it in the ocean. Now, now there's a lot of custody uh, nuances here, right? Because like, mm -hmm. it's information. It can be easily lost, et cetera, et cetera. There's no Bitcoin CEO to get your password back. There's a, Thank God. With great power comes great responsibility. Yes. Right? You, you have to 
take custody very seriously and it's radically new because it's informational. All that being said, though, it's um, and, and another way to maybe think about this. If money is that which we use to acquire goods and services, that's what it does, right? That's another definition of money. The thing we use to acquire goods and services. What is common among all goods and services is that they all require energy to produce. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as a good or a service on this planet, nor has there ever been, that does not require energy to produce. Right. Wouldn't it make sense that the thing we use to acquire goods and services that require energy to produce, wouldn't it make sense that that thing required some energy to produce? Wouldn't that be fair? Wouldn't that be like a normal, sort of intuitive, obvious right. thing? Um, yet somehow we're in this world today where a SQL database maintained on-premise at the Federal Reserve called the U.S. dollar, mm-hmm. seven governors can decide to press a button and they can expand the money supply as much as they please. And dilute your buy- buying power immediately. Dilute the buying power of all dollar savers worldwide and go out and acquire the goods and services and distribute them that in the way that they see fit. Right. So it is monetary socialism mm-hmm. that is driving, I would argue, the cultural degradation, the economic fallout, Uh, the geopolitical strife, all of these things boil down to the money. All remedied by decentralized currency with actual value, staying power. Fix the money, fix the world. Final question. Yeah. I think I pretty much know what freedom means to you. I ask this to everyone. I get that. It's a long, that's a more philosophical than we have. You have a call in a few minutes, uh, in two minutes. Final question. Could you see a, a currency of a large nation, because obviously El Salvador is working on something. Yeah. We don't quite know. Can you see physical currency being pegged to Bitcoin eventually? I certainly could see attempts being made to that effect and perhaps with some success initially, but in the long run, there's no point. Right. Why? Why? So again, we abstract gold, physical gold, into this paper token mm-hmm. called a dollar, later an electronic token, which we're most familiar with now, online banking, Venmo, et cetera. Bitcoin is digitally native. It's informational by design. Why do I need to turn information into information? It's not right. It's not physical, right? I don't need to centralize the custody. I don't need to abstract it into a dollar. It has perfect portability already. Mm-hmm. Now, we will use things like the Lightning Network, mm-hmm. which does makes a small trade-off. You give up a little bit of the trust minimization, sure. layer one, but you pick up a lot of transaction throughput. So the answer would be yes. I'm sure it will be attempted, mm-hmm. but it's pointless. And ultimately, well, I'd, of course, it will be done by a government. So. Yes, <laughs> of course. Well, and pointless. this is where the rabbit hole gets very interesting because it's like people say things like, "Well, if Bitcoin's that radical, then governments will never let it happen." But I think the real question is, That's will b- will Bitcoin continue to let governments happen? That's what I'm saying. It's the whole point. This right? is the question that how. If a government derives its revenues from taxation and inflation, which are theft. Yes. And now people have recourse to a form of property that's unconfiscatable or unseizable or theft proof. And again, it's not perfect, but probabilistically it's much higher than it's ever been. Sure. How is that organization, that coercive thieving organization going to continue to generate revenues? So Bitcoin calls into question the nation state paradigm that we live in. And now this is where the rabbit hole goes crazy mm. because we don't know what a world with, na- no with nation states, like we had a world pre-nation state, but what does a post-nation state world look like? That is a big question mark. That's a fantastic way to end it. <laughs> you got a call coming up. Robert Breedlove, 
What is Money podcast. Check it out every time you put something out. Every time I talk to you, I learn something new. I'm so excited for the next Thank time. you, man. Brother's great. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much, man. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it.